but do something I haven't done on Sunday morning. Now, um, you know, I came here in 1994, and as I was trying out to be pastor of this uh, little church that was on Garner Road that didn't have a pastor at the time, one of the things that they did is they sat me down at 6 o'clock on a Sunday night, and I sp- sat on a stool in the little church on Garner Road where we started, and uh, the, I fielded questions from the audience for three, I mean, six o'clock to nine o'clock. And I thought, well, that was fun. And, you know, I've done that now all over the place. I've done it all over India. I've done it. We have 12 churches in Africa. I've done it in Africa. And we regularly take time on Wednesday nights, and we just have what we've historically called pastor talk, and now it's conversations with pastor. We're going to do that this morning. How about that? So be thinking about something you've always wanted to ask me about your spiritual life, about the Bible, your walk with God, etc. Is that fair? So uh, when you do that, you can text your your question to uh, just 9400, type that in, question uh, VC. If you'll do that, then you can type in your question, send it there, and... uh, and we'll get it, and then we'll be able to have a conversation about that. And I'll be answering questions after I share a few things. These are really exciting uh, days at Victory Church. How many believe our best days are ahead of us? You know, I don't care what age you are. You know, as you're young, you think that you have all of these years ahead. And when you get my age, I'm in my early 60s, you think, well, I don't have as fur ahead of me as I had behind me. But I still think my best days are ahead of me. I'm not kidding. I think my best days are ahead. So, so I'm sowing seed today for what's going to be like tomorrow. How many hear me? So uh, our best days are ahead of us. Jesus is coming back. How many could believe that in your lifetime you could see the return of Christ? Now, it's a challenging time. It's a changing time. It's a, 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 a warlike time worldwide because it's a time of judgment when Jesus comes back and that's the reason we need each other and we need God more than ever. We need the Bible more than ever. We need the Holy Spirit more than ever. Yes or no? And we need fellowship with each other more than ever. So we'll be talking about that more here in just a minute. So today is um, a fresh start for us at Victory. You know, we just uh, last month finished paving uh, the parking lot. Now we've got a beautiful campus uh, in the making. They'll put the bushes and trees out Hopefully this next coming week, uh, the next couple of weeks, we'll be finishing the building hopefully in September sometime. How many will believe God for us? How many will pray that direction? Because we've, uh, uh, we've been in, in building mode since February of 2018, believe it or not. And it took a couple of years to get site permits for the road, building permits for the building. And uh, it's been fun. I have more patience than I ever had in my whole life. So, but today's kind of a new start. I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, we, we've changed what we call our branding. We have a new logo. We haven't changed our logo at Victory Church since we were on Aversboro Road. In, actually, I have these dates in my head. I don't know how to do that. February of 2009. The logo that, w- that you've seen on everything we have was created then and then made public. But we have a new logo uh, today that will reflect where we are and, uh, and where we're going, so we're, we're pretty excited about that. We want to introduce all that to you in just a minute. Psalm 127, verse 1, and I think about this verse a lot in my personal life and then in the life of our ministry here at Victory Church. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Do you know you could be doing something and God's not in it? Now, that's a shocking thought, isn't it? 
You could erect something. You could be involved in something in your life and God's not in what you're doing. It's human energy. It looks good. It's shiny. It's exciting, but it may not be God. So boy, I think about this verse a lot. lot. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labor in vain. I don't want my labor to be in vain. That means of no, of, of, of no consequence. Uh, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So, so you know, it's not our own strength or might that pushes us through life. We've got to depend on our Heavenly Father. Yes or no? If, all, if you think you've got the mental acumen, the, the uh, physical energy to just navigate through life, somewhere or the other, you're going to find a stone wall that you can't cross. And we need the Lord, right? So God has positioned us. We came to this location. I think about other stuff all the time in 2013, and, and I just didn't realize why. You know, let me tell, I don't want to tell the long part. Let me tell the short part of the story. Um, uh, 2013, the first Tuesday in January, we had our eyes on a, another piece of property. I think I have told this recently in a uh, in the context of a message, but uh, uh, so we had our eyes on another piece of pro- property on Highway 70 in Garner, and every and I live in Nightdale, so I'm turning left on 70 from Hammond Road to get there, Timber Drive, and uh, and I always uh, as I went by the property, said, Lord, thank you for uh, a supernatural contract to buy and a supernatural financing of this property, this big piece of property, about 10 acres. And that, that first Sunday and uh, first Tuesday in January, I was back in the office after, um, after holiday break. And, um, and, and when I started to do that, the Lord spoke to me. I was in my vehicle and he said, now, here's how he started. I heard it right here. He said, how do you hear God? Well, if you get quiet, he'll speak to you. And you, can, you have to learn the voice of God. So inside me, he said, uh, he's, uh, he started out, now, you can believe for that if you want to. Oh, I got real quiet. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because I, I always kind of, I know it sounds, you know, dorky or whatever. I'd stretch my hand and say, Lord, thank you. And I started to do that. He said, now, now you can do that if you want to, but if you let me, I'll give you something better. I said, whoa, keep talking. And he said, I got something better for you if you let me give it to you. And I said, okay, if, uh, if you do it in such a way that I don't have to lift my hand to make it happen, you do it. Then I'll take my faith off of this. And it's almost as though I heard him say, deal. I said, okay, good. Well, 10 days later, I broke my arm riding my bike on the Noose River Trail, my humerus, one of the largest bones in your body. And I couldn't go on a missions trip. Instead of going on the trip to uh, Africa that I was scheduled to go on, I was at home. And because I was home, I got a call about this property right here. And that's how we found Now, God didn't break my arm. How many know all things work together for good to them that love God? It's a big, long story, and I saw the providence of God guiding my life, even though the, you know, I made a human error and broke my arm. God will use, the, God will use your mistakes to turn out for His glory. How many believe He can do that? So if you just live right, if you honor Him, humble yourself. So, you know, uh, we bought the property in 2013, moved in in set, uh, September 1st. 2013, little did I know that, uh, that we would be building this building. It doesn't even look like the same place, right? So it's just amazing how the Lord has orchestrated So We've been here uh, nine years, September 1st, and uh, so we're excited about that. But uh, we started as, uh, listen, so uh, I was in Florence, South Carolina. I'd started the church in a small town and then turned it over to someone, had a traveling ministry for a couple of years, and then 
And then um, I found myself as an associate pastor of a church in my hometown. I didn't want to do it, but you know, God will have you do things you don't think you need to do. And so I, I pastored the church for the pastor for a year prior to coming here. He started a church in Latvia on the Baltic Sea, it's a, a seacoast town called Leopaya. You can look at it on the map. And, uh, and we supported his ministry, and I pastored his church for him for one year, and God gave me a word. If you can't be faithful over that which is another man's, how can you be trusted in that which is your own? So I pastored his church for him and gave it back to him. He came back and pastored his church, took up the senior pastorate of his church uh, in January of 94. Then I came here in October of 94, been here ever since. So we, when I came here, there's the building, uh, and it still looks like that. Uh, I think there's an awning on the front, but uh, uh, that was Auburn Christian Church. And then 1995, we changed the name to Victory Fellowship Church, and then we took the fellowship out in 2009 and just called it Victory Church. We stayed there until 1996. We actually outgrew uh, the building, and I was going to do what everybody usually does and rent uh, school and actually entered into contract with the uh, with Wake County School System to rent a school property. Most people don't know that. And uh, the day that I entered into contract, I kept seeing these green awnings. And it's like God had something else for me. And I made a U-turn in a, on a, on a, in a, a, at a, a light on Highway 70 and found Garner Village Shopping Center. How many know where that is? Across from Arby's on 70 in Garner. And I went right up to the building that I saw the awnings in my mind. And, I, and it was empty. And there was a section of the building empty that had never been leased. And I called uh, Jim Anthony, who owns the property there. The rest is history. Uh, the Wake County got, let me get out of the contract with him. And we rented the shopping center for six years. And we grew there and, and stabilized ministry there. And then we bought a piece of property in 1999. Uh, actually, I think it was the year 2000 on Aversboro Road, which is one of the main thoroughfares where the offices and such are uh, in Garner. So I don't know if you have a picture of that property. There you go. And we built that building and moved into that building October 27th, 2002. And we were there for almost 11 years. We outgrew that building. We uh, have since sold that property to Spiritual Twist, which is a ministry to children. And they do all kinds of, put a spiritual twist on on, um, on um, what am I looking for? Plays and such. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, really a, a great ministry. So that's where we were. And then we moved here in 2013. Little did I know we'd be doing what we do now. So today we're rebranding. And that's what you saw on the doors that came in. It's on the front sign. We've got a wrap around our sign. We'll have the permanent, uh, we'll have the permanent stuff there soon. But look at the video. Go ahead and show that video. Isaiah put a video together that was worth watching.
That's pretty cool. Give Isaiah here. Thank you, Isaiah. So Isaiah worked. Uh, you know, he really spent a lot of hours on that. So thank you, Isaiah, and his team helped him as well. So thank you. We appreciate that a whole lot. So uh, we're rebranding, and we're excited about that. And uh, I just want to talk to you real quickly before we go on to questions about the vision here. And it was on the video. They're helping people become who God created them to be. I was on my bicycle. I still I was seven miles out into a ride. And I was on my bike. I could still see the trees around me. And inside me, I heard those words. Mitch, I want you to help people become who God created them to be. And I said, well, that's why you called me as a pastor. And that's why I teach and, and preach the word of God. And I say in conjunction with that on a regular basis, life is a journey, not a destination. And you never arrive. So that means lifelong, you should be growing. Yes or no? Lifelong, you should be changing. If we're not changing and we're not growing, then we're not alive. Because anything healthy and alive is changing. And, uh, and growth means change. Everybody say growth means change. So here's some questions, and I could get into meddling in your life a little bit now. So uh, are you different than you were three months ago? How about six months ago? How about you look at your life a year ago, July of 2021. Are you a different person now than you were then in some aspects of life? If you are, that means you're growing. But you know what a lot of people do my age? They retire and resign from life and then develop habits that kill them. I spit it out raw. God never, I don't believe it's the will of God for anybody to retire. Now you can change your job. And you, and you can stop what you've been doing for 30, 40, 50 years, but that doesn't mean you retire from life. You, there's a lot of life and a lot of people that need God and need help. Yes or no? So we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? So anyway, when we get to heaven and stand before Jesus, you know, how many know we're going to answer for our obedience to him? So one passion I have as a pastor, I want to help all of us grow. I'm growing with you. I don't think I have all the answers. And you know, Jesus is still changing me after uh, being with him for almost 46 years, there's still areas of life like, God, you're still doing the work in me in that area, that area, that area, that area. It never, ever stops. So, you know, my call as a pastor is to, is to shepherd the flock of God. Uh, one translation of 1 Peter 5, 1 says, uh, he, Peter talking to fellow pastors said, feed the flock of God. Well, that's, that's one of my responsibilities is feed you, you know, uh, not hamburgers and french fries, but feed you the word. And, and help you to develop spiritually. So I have also the call as a teacher. And God dropped that in my heart in the 1980s while I was in Bible school. And uh, the rest is history since then. So, you know, I want to help you grow spiritually. And I want to help you find your place in God and be faithful. You know, the problem and the challenges we have in America is we are individualist. And God's called us as American believers to be part of a family. And because we have individual rights as American citizens, unlike most every other nation in the world, you have constitutional rights. We take that into our Christian life and, and we, we become individualists. And we think everything's for me. I can do what I want to do. When you come to Jesus, you give, your, you give up your right to govern your own life. And we're supposed to be seeking first, not our will, his will. We seek first the kingdom of God. Yes or no? So that's a bigger challenge than I'm making it right now. But anyway, I want to help you do that. There are four things. There are four passions that we have here at Victory Church. And I have as a pastor. 
that I want to see fulfilled in your life. I'm going to talk about that quickly, and then we're going to open up the questions. So while I'm talking, you've got questions not necessarily about this or other things, go ahead and write them down and uh, you know, be able to elucidate those clearly. Uh, text to that number, 9400. Uh, there it is at the bottom. There you go. Uh, if you'll do that, then we'll get going. We also have a, a mic, and we can go around and do that when we need to. Uh, four things that I want to see fulfilled in your life. Number one, I want you to grow in the Word. How many know that's important? You know, the Bible's taken a nosedive in Western cultures of recent, and there are all kinds of things in place. There are schemes. I, I don't know if you realize there are schemes in play right now worldwide uh, to make the Bible a has-been book, a history book, not relevant to modern culture. It's being taken, sadly, out of our schools. That's the reason we're opening Victory Academy. It's been taken out of our public schools, and look what a hellhole our public schools have become. What a terrible thing. So we want to grow in the Word as believers, and I've said this a long time. If you'll come here for at least two years and apply yourself uh, and, and, and hear the Word of God and then put it into practice, one thing to listen is another thing to put it into practice, right? Put shoe leather on it. And if you'll do that in two years' time, it'll transform your life because it'll deal with you. The Word of God will deal with, about how, with how you think, how you relate to others, how you respond, how you, work, how you deal with family life, what you do with your own person, what kind of physical habits you have in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, and just how you deal with life in general. The Word of God will eke its way into every crack, corner, and crevice of your life and make a profound change if you let it. Uh, but uh, you can just let it be a spectator that, you, that you, you hear on Sundays but do nothing with it. Don't do that. Jesus said, Matthew 4, 4, man will not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So he's appealing to two things there. We need physical food. Sure, we're going to have some good physical food a little later. But more than that, we need spiritual food. There's a spiritual dynamic in life. We're spirit beings created in the image of God. And what Jesus was saying there is the same way that food feeds your physical body, the Word of God feeds your spirit. And we've got a lot of empty people in America today. We've got empty believers in America today. They're filling themselves with everything other than the Word. And it's only the Word that can cause you to feel fulfilled inside. So man shall not live by bread alone. So grow in the Word. Number two, develop a group of friends you can relate to and mutually help one another. That's really a huge value that I personally have and that we should have uh, as believers in general. Proverbs 27, 17, New Living says, I, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. New century version of that verse, iron sharpens iron, so people, I love this, can improve each other. You know, when I'm around you, I get better. Do you have people in your life that when you're around them, you get better? You, you should have those kind of people. You know, the enemy wants to get us uh, alone and by ourselves. I went on a safari in Africa, in Kenya, in 2005, and uh, was uh, honored to really, the animals were so beautiful. We were in an open truck with no top, and some of it kind of scared the bejeebies out of this little southern boy, but uh, we had a lion walk by, and I'm thinking, you just stay right over there, buddy. 
He was looking at us out the corner of his eye, thinking of a nice juicy meal maybe, I don't know. But anyway, we had a, I was able to watch the lions around. And you know, they would lay down in the field away from each other. You know, one to the north, one to the south, east, west, just all around. And, and then they're looking, they're looking for animals. They're looking for gazelles. They're looking for, you know, the little smaller animals. The ze- they're, they're looking for zebras. They're looking for, you know, all kinds of animals. And, and what they're looking for is a prey. And, 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 you know, she got groups of animals. We're, in the, we're on the safari, groups of animals all over the place. And the lions, they're just sitting around, you know. You ever seen a guy just kind of hanging on a pole and kind of chewing on a piece of weed? Well, that's what those, ant, those lions were. They're just looking around. They're just kind of, you know, getting some sun. They're looking out the corner of their eye, and they're looking for an animal that gets off by itself. And it's the animal that gets off by itself that becomes a prey to the lions because they can surround it and defeat it. And that's what the enemy wants to do to your life. Be, be, be uh, mentally self-controlled. Be ever on your guard. First Peter 5, 8, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. And that illustration I gave is exactly what Peter was referring to there. If you're by yourself, you're vulnerable. And let's get real, the last couple of years have been hard for everybody. It's been mentally taxing, it's been emotionally taxing, and it's been completely unhealthy for our children as well as us. How many would agree? So we need each other. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Verse 11, Ecclesiastes 4. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So that's why we need each other. We have uh, seasonal small groups here at Victory Church, and uh, we have a fall season excuse me, a winter season, and then the summer season, we try to do things together as a church family. It's been a bit challenging, honestly, with our, with our construction and the mess, the orange mud. Uh, North Carolina uh, uh, consists of orange mud, but, but uh, up underneath all of the top topography. Yes or no? So we've got it all covered up right here now, but some of us got a feel for uh, anyway, we have seasonal small groups, and we encourage you, be a part of our small group system. They'll be starting back up. Uh, I think in September, and be a part of that because you need each other. If you're a man, if you're of the male species, uh, 6.30, y'all know what a male is, right? Everybody knows what a male is, right? You got to be a male. Well, what if a woman comes? We'll let you sit, but I think you'll be uncomfortable because you'll be by yourself. This is for men. So men, 6.30 Tuesday mornings, we have a coffee time. And we got a really stiff cup of joe we drink, and it wakes us up pretty quick. But, you know, every single Tuesday we have lively conversation. You could be a part of that. And um, I tell you, these men love each other. We've got a, a big group of, of men. We put the chairs in a circle in the back of this auditorium, just clear some chairs up, and just a, a group of guys. And then we go out and eat breakfast together. It's really amazing. Some have to go to work. Whatever you can do, 6.30 to 7.30. Come uh, 6.30, leave when you need to for work and such, but you would be blessed. You're invited by me to our group. It's this Tuesday, 6.30, we'll be there. Encourage you to come. Nonetheless, we need each other, and we need, uh, we need a group of friends. If you don't have friends, there's some people in this room that are potentially some people that you can get to know and call friend. Is that all right? Number three, discover what God wants you to be doing. You know, a lot of people go through their life as a believer, and they just kind of meander around, 
And a lot of people think that Christian life consists of just attending a church service on occasion, reading the Bible on occasion, praying on occasion, taking communion on occasion, and getting baptized one time. And that's, well, I'm a believer. No, 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 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Jesus has called you to be a disciple maker. Jesus has called you to be an influencer of others. Jesus has called you to be salt that's outside of a salt shaker that affects everything it touches. And Jesus has called you to be a light, not hidden and obscure where nobody can see it, but a light in a dark place so that people are drawn to the light so they can see where they're going and what they need to be doing. So all of us are called to do something. So God wants us to discover what we're supposed to be doing, and we've got what we call growth track. We're going to be changing some of this in the weeks and months to come, but right now it's called growth track. We'll probably be changing that heads up. Uh, in that, we have four classes. You attend 11 o'clock service. Uh, it's the first room on the right down our children's ministry hallway. We're going to be changing a lot about that, even the times eventually. But for now, uh, in that class, you find about our history. You find out about some of the things I just shared, our structure, how we're set up, how we're governed, what we value, um, and things like that. You also find out about what it means and how you can be a lifelong disciple of Jesus. Uh, we give you a spiritual gifts test, uh, which is a... Which is a uh, uh, what do you call it? What? Multiple choice. Why couldn't I think of multiple choice? <laughs> Help me, Jesus. So we give you a spiritual gifts chest, 72 multiple choice questions, and if you answer them spontaneously and immediately, you find out uh, what your passions are on the inside. We give you a personality test. A lot of those available. We found a really simple um, personality text that makes the complex simple and it's really accurate i've taken these things i think three times and they peg me pretty good so in that those lessons you're also encouraged to serve someone and uh, so being part of our a victory church entails attending those four class sessions on sundays during 11 o'clock service now some people think church is a club a club, something you join you know you got you know you're very i don't want to advertise for anybody you got bjs what else Sam's Club, you know, club. a club is something that serves you, right? Uh, or it's there when you want, or you got a club, maybe you got a golf club, you got a tennis, I play tennis, tennis club. So you kind of, it's there for you, you kind of go when you want to, meander in, or you're part of a garden club if you're old, well, you know, whatever. I think ladies years ago had the red hat club, you know, and so people see, uh, uh, people see church as a club. Church is more than a club, my friends. It's a, it's a gang of people to get together, and our goal is to change the world. Our, our goal is to make disciples of, uh, uh, for Jesus of people, yes or no? And so God has a plan, a purpose, and a mission, and we want you to be a part of that. So being a member of our church doesn't mean sitting once a week in a, in a church service, and that says, well, I'm a good Christian. No, no, it means you put your hand to the plow and do something. It means you get involved in helping us minister life to other people, yes or no? So uh, we want you to discover what... God wants you to be doing. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. If you, you know, if we just seek God, read his word, get involved in fellowship with him and others and, and seek to be salt, seek to be light, you know what happens on the inside? There'll be a desire, a yearning to do something and it won't ever leave you alone. That's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing now. I had a voracious desire when I was young and I still do to study, to read 
uh, to put things together and then just to teach the word. I used to do it one-on-one when I was young and then it turned into what it is today. Find out what God has called you to do. It may not be public speaking, but it's helping a neighbor. It may be uh, running a business and using your resources to, to, uh, to support the kingdom of God and its ministry all over the world. It could be ministering compassion. There's a lot of things that we can be called to do, right? Number, number four and lastly, um, our, one of the last value we have is to find a way. We want you to find a way to serve others. I want you to be a volunteer. I want you to volunteer yourself to help someone else. When I was a young believer, I found out that faithfulness is a key to spiritual growth. Everybody say that. Faithfulness is the key to spiritual growth. 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy was a young minister. Paul encouraged him to find people who are faithful. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. So again, we grow when we help Others, that's just the way things are in the kingdom of God. Job 42.10 is something I mention regularly. Uh, about a year's time, Job lost to everything that he had, including his health. And uh, Job 42.10, the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. When he got his eyes off of himself and put his eyes on others and how he could benefit others, God blessed him. You may be here and you got a boatload of need in your life. My encouragement, if that's you, you're probably like everybody else in the room. Everybody has need. If you want God to get involved in meeting your needs, uh, be used by him to meet someone else's need. It's that, again, law of reciprocity. What you, what you sow, you reap. It just works that way. So be faithful in the small things. You'll eventually find your place in the kingdom of God, Luke 16, 10, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones, New Living Translation. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest in greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with tr- the true riches of heaven? Then verse 12 was what God gave me before I came here in 1994. If you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things that are your own? So again, be a part of our volunteer force. We call it our dream team. They're an exemplary group of people who have giftings and skills from the Lord that he's placed inside of them. They have uh, a different personalities and different giftings. And we place people where, where they fit best. And we want to encourage you, be a volunteer. Don't just come and, come and observe. Come and be involved. Lastly, and this is um, uh, something that's really, really on my heart these days, and we'll be doing more with this in the future. How many know you need to love your family? Colossians 3.18, New Living. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Never treat them harshly. We seek to talk about all this for a long time, right? Children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. I just heard a kid say, would you say that again? No. <laughs> they had slavery in the New Testament days. Thank God we don't now. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. So that just for us, translate that into you've got an overbearing boss, an overbearing company you work for, and you don't like how they do what they do. It's too much. 
Here's what it says. Obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time. Not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Now, you know, I took that principle in 2018 when I was going to college and working at a grocery store. And you know what? I made it my, and we had an overbearing boss. And you know what? I said, and all everybody's complaining about the boss and they're gossiping about him in the break room when he's not there. And then they shut up when he walks in, you know. But I saw that verse right there saying, you know what, Lord, I'm not working for him. They called him Bulldog because he looked like one. But uh, I said, Lord, I'm not working for Bulldog. I'm working for you. And you know what? It changed my it changed my tune. It changed what I thought about my job. It, it changed me as I was getting ready, and it changed me while I was working. It changed me as and my demeanor as I was going home. So, anyway, husbands and wives, how many know you need to be working on your marriage? Now more than ever, y'all, there are pressures that want to separate and divide. Parents, guide your children. Yes or no? They know only what they're taught and what they observe. They come into life, as one book I read in 1983, they come as barbarians. They're uncouth and know nothing, and what they learn, they learn from, their, from, from what the environment they're raised in. Don't allow the sexual propaganda in our school systems to hijack their innocence and purity. Yes or no? Maybe I should read that one again. Don't allow the sexual propaganda, that's what it is, my friends, in our school systems to hijack their innocence and purity. And then families spend time together, uh, get together with other families. Our strength in the future is going to be our relationships with others. So, you know, if you're part of another local church, my encouragement is get yourself planted there, get, uh, become friends with people there, and then help them uh, do the mission that God's called them to do. If you're here at Victory Church, help us do what God's called us to do. We're always, always looking for those that can help us, and not necessarily because we need it, but you need it. Because if you'll reach out, God will reach into you. It's just the way it works. Don't be a loner. So I'm going to open this up right now. So... Uh, um, we, we have questions, perhaps. We're going a little longer in the service today. Is that okay? Say that again. That's all right, she said. That's all right. So uh, we'll be eating here in a little while, but uh, uh, let's field some questions towards me. If I don't have the answers, I'll find somebody on the front row that has the answer. How's that? So, you know, I like spontaneity. I think it's kind of fun, so... Uh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take my hard copy leather. I still, I still carry my leather Bible around. That's my, you know, some of the pages are falling out. Who's, who's got a question? You got anything that's come in yet? Hey, Pastor. Hey. First question is, if I'm a Christian, then why am I depressed? Oh, lots of reasons. You know, um, your emotions engage in what you're generally thinking about. Having said that, of course, you know, you've got, you've got um, a physical basis for some emotions. And if everything's connecting properly in the mind, the synapses, they call them, and whatever, and, and everything's connected the way it should in a, in a healthy person, what you think becomes what you feel. And if you want to change what you feel in a healthy person, you got to change what you think. Now, right when I'm saying that, I hear inside of me that you can go through an era of life or a period of time 
to where the pressures are so intense that it wears you down. Have you ever been to a portion of life that's so intense that you don't see a way out and every day is a weight and it's harsh? You know what that does? It depletes chemicals in your physical body. And that's the reason some people today, and a lot of people are wrestling with depression, oppression, whatever, and uh, some of it's physically induced over a prolonged period of time. You can just sap the life out of yourself. If you don't take breaks, you're going to have a problem. So that's what happens when I answer questions. I feel meandering all over the place. If you don't take a break, now me, my personality, I, I have in my life have had a hard time taking a break because I'm highly motivated. I'm always thinking about what needs to be done. And if I got a piece of time to stick something in a slot, I'm going to do it. I don't waste time. Time is life. I don't waste my life. I don't waste my time. So for a person like me to relax is a challenge. And I learned over the years, I make myself relax. So last Sunday, I wasn't here. Every seventh week, I take a break. That's by design. So I don't burn out, and so I don't become depressed. How many hear me? So how about give a hand to Mira, who spoke last week? That was good. Thank you, Mira. I forgot to mention that today. But see, you need to be doing that. If not, you're going to run. Sometimes our problems are our own making, and sometimes depression is that way. So uh, disillusionment in life, a divorce, uh, the death of a family member. I think one of the hardest things to deal with is the death of a child. I mean, honestly, uh, uh, I think so, what I've read and heard and, and just as a pastor talking to people. So you just got to find a way to let God minister to you. So for me, I'll carefully guard and watch what I think about. And the problem today, most people uh, do very little personal thinking. Their thinking's done for them. Yes or no? So you got MP3s, you got all the gadgetry, we got earbuds, you're listening to stuff all the time. Take some time and unplug and get charged back up. Now, my personality, I run hard. If you don't see me, it's because I need to unplug. And every day, I, I don't, there's points in every day I need to be quiet. And when I'm quiet, I'm probably reading or praying or listening to, so just kind of, usually just being quiet. I just need to recharge. If you're not doing that, you're going to run into trouble. So depression's a big deal, and I can say a whole lot more about that, but generally speaking, in a healthy person, rewire your thoughts. Go get my book, Change Your Mind, Change Your Life. It's on the shelf out there, and read that. My podcast next week I recorded Friday, and I'm talking about uh, how to renew the mind and how to get the thoughts in gear, and I'll be doing that this uh, the week following as well, so you may want to Check that out if you've got a problem with depression. For me, I worship, I sing. Everybody has a bad day sometimes, yes or no? Everybody got a bad day. Not every day's going to be, you know, peachy keen and, you know, just colorful and flowery and wonderful. Some days you just drag through and you think, oh, God, help me. And everybody has those kind of, I have, do I have those kind of days? Well, certainly. What do I do with them? Absolutely nothing. What do I do? I sing, I worship, put praise worship on, I worship, I sing. You know, I start my day every day. I was telling, I was telling somebody I was talking to Thursday, I start my day every day, and I did this morning. I'll get emotional if I talk about it too much, but when I get up to my upstairs room, I get a little red chair I've had since 1990, and it's filled with down, duck feathers, just a really comfortable chair. It's got ottoman with it. And I put a pillow right there, and I kneel down. I love to pray and kneel. And when I, I put my head, my old ball head in my hands, and the first thing I do is start singing. 
Sometimes the Lord says to me, Mitch, would you sing? And he mentions a song from the 1970s. Would you sing that song to me? In fact, the other day I was about to kneel down. I heard, Mitch, would you sing Great is the Lord to me? I said, yeah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The city of our God and the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the sides of the north. The city of the great king. He said, would you sing it again? I said, yep, I sang. This morning I sang three, three songs to the Lord. You say, are you crazy? No, no, I just love Jesus. I say, if you fall in love with Jesus more than what you think you need in life, a lot of your depression will cease. Would you lift your hand? Lord, let that presence I sense right now, let it flood over the people here. Lord, let that sense of oppression lift. And let there be an impetus placed inside of us for the presence of Jesus every day. Life is not complicated. We've made it too hard and harsh. In the name of Jesus, I ask you, speak to every one of us to just give you some time in Jesus' name. You don't have to sing this, but let me do it because it's a mention. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great King is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great King. Now you may have never heard, that's just from the scriptures. I think it's Psalm 48. I have a book in my office called Psalter and it's just Psalms put to tune. I could sing a bunch of them to you, but I'll, I'll spare you. Another question. What are your thoughts on worship music produced by Hillsong, Stephen Furtick, et cetera? Um, I make this statement frequently to uh, people. Um, I've taken, you know, I've been with the Lord since 1976. And I love to sing. I love to worship. And always have a saying, um, a saying hymns in the Baptist church. How many are familiar with hymns? Sung out of a hymn. Turn to page 243. Turn to page 144. We'll three, sing three stanzas and you got somebody doing this. So yeah, you know. So I got lots of songs in my repertoire, but here's the issue. Your hymnology comes out of your theology. So I make some generalized statements. To answer your question specifically, um, I think I, I like some Hillsong songs. I like some of the Elevation worship, I like Bethel worship, uh, Charity Gale, y'all heard of her? Oh man, they turned me on to something, one of my daughters was listening to the Pentecostals. Have y'all heard them? The man, the videos are on, dude. You got the bun. They get to, I'm telling you. I said, man, they got an anointing on them, I like that, that's awesome, Yeah. So I love music, but you know, let me just get real again. You got to be careful with music because 
our current generation lives so uh, surface. And the preaching has become surface in America. And it's sad to me. We have lost a lot of what we had in God. And, and if you're an old codger like me, and you've been around in God for a long time, you feel it. And my heart aches for it. And so I appreciate, how many appreciate Joshua and our team? Amen. Yeah. So, good music will have the themes of redemption in it. Um, good, good worship will move us towards God. But then, good worship should also contain songs that magnify the Lord Himself. And we're singing to Him. It's okay to sing about him and, and the truths of redemption and what he's done for us. That's included in what we sing, yes. But, but you know, our songs also should, should include praise and adoration to him. Right? I'll get to singing if I go very far. <laughs> yeah. Holy, holy. See, I just get before the Lord sometimes. Holy, holy, this is from 1970. Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, as we lift our hearts before you as a token of our love. Holy, 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 holy. You know, you get to sing in that way, the presence comes on you. I was uh, uh, at a, um, y'all okay? I was uh, in, Ga in um, uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee some years ago. It's probably a dozen years ago. And I was, uh, Susan couldn't go, so I was at a, a, a leadership seminar in Gatlinburg. And, uh, you know, it's about a, what, five-hour drive home. And I was by myself in my car. And, uh, and at the time, you know, we were believing God for everything at the other building and looking for land and property. And I was, you know, pretty weighted down with stuff. I cut everything off. I cut my CDs at the time. We had CDs and MP3. I just cut it all off. I said, God, I'm just going to sing. And y'all, I mean, I sang all the way through the mountains, come under those little, you know, those little uh, uh, caverns you have to drive through, little cave things. I drove around and around the mountain and several hours and came up on the other side of the mountains to flatland. And y'all, Something inside started jumping. And all that stuff lifted off of me. And all I was doing was singing songs. So, in fact, I was doing more than singing songs. I was worshiping my father. And if you will go from singing songs to worshiping your father, that is, you'll, you'll go from entertainment to worship. Worship is worth-ship. Right? Instead of entertaining you, stamping your feet, nothing wrong with stomping your feet, dancing, it's fine. David danced before the Lord because he was excited about the Lord. But if you'll go from being personally helped, which it'll happen, help him first, love him. And if you'll love him with your worship, he will manifest himself to you. So I'm saying this because in our future, the hardness and the hardships that come. It's worship that'll get you through it. How many hear me? There's something about the presence of God 
that will lift the weight. Do you hear me? So you, you need to learn how to do that. When I first came to the Lord, 1976, our church had a pipe organ. Y'all know what a pipe organ is? The big pipes on the wall, and there was a service. You've heard me say this. There was a service area behind it. And I was uh, um, going to college and then going to uh, night school to go take some Bible courses. We had a Bible college in our church. And I was meandering around like people do at church. And I was opening some doors, see what's in there. And here's a, you know, broom closet. And, you know, here's a staff room. And open this door, and there's stairs, just rustic old stairs. And this was an old building a Baptist church had that the charismatic church had bought, had like 15 or 20 concrete steps up the front with the big, you know, big columns. But anyway, you got the, you got the pipe organ. I found access to it. I walked up those stairs creaking, walked up, and they started playing that organ. I said, well, that's cool. Nobody can hear me. And I started singing, and I started praising, and I started praying. And the presence of God got off on me. And that created a habit in me. I'd get somewhere. I lived out in the country when I was a kid. And I moved away when I married Susan. I was almost 21 when Susan and I were married. When we were married, I moved from my country setting to the city. And we rented an apartment. But during, in the country, I would go for walks and just sing. When I, when I came to the Lord, I'd just sing and worship the Lord. And it so ministered life to me that uh, that's what I do now. If you want the presence of God on you, Rather than oppression, depression, fear, dread, and all the junk the world offers us right now, get into the presence of Jesus. Did you hear me? And there's really no other way. You have to give your heart to him. If you got, now here we go. <laughs> if you got one foot in our culture, doing what our culture says is okay and God says isn't, and acting that way, and then you think you want to know God, uh, you'll never sense his presence unless you repent. The first time you'll sense the presence of God is in repentance. When you say, God, I'm wrong and you're right. I'm in the wrong, you're in the right. And God, I need you to help me. When you do that, you'll have the presence of Jesus on your life. And then if you stay there and honor his word, and when he asks you to do something, you obey, you'll keep that presence. Then you maintain it by singing and worshiping. So I could keep talking forever, but how many know we need to go there, y'all? Our culture's in trouble. America's in trouble. The only way out of it is to have a new, fresh experience with God. How many want it? Yeah. Go ahead. What you got? Sometimes I struggle believing Jesus is on my side. How do I get through those moments and understand that he always is, even when I don't see it? Uh... 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, Why we look not at the things that are seen or felt, but at the things that are not seen or not felt. The things, things that are seen or felt are temporary. Things that are not seen and not felt are eternal. So you have to... Now, here's the issue. You know what they're doing in our schools and classes and colleges now? Everything's experiential. And there's, there's no exact knowledge. Life is a learning is a learning laboratory, and nobody knows everything, and what was true yesterday not, might not be true today. So, so, so an ideology that there are standards of behavior have been kicked out of the window today, and now feelings mean more than anything. 
Now I'm talking, you know, y'all correct me if you need to, 30 and under. Is that fair? Huh? See, that's the new generation. Emerging generation is all about feelings, all about experience. And you can't know God by feelings. If you try to know God by feelings, the enemy can accommodate you. The devil can accommodate you. Demon spirits can mask spirituality. I just, this is really, I, I got on a website yesterday. I got some really weird stuff I've been looking at, studying at. It's weird because I've been looking at the mark of the beast. I don't even want to get into this, but Lord, why am I even mentioning this? <sighs> yeah, right. They got this thing called a med bed. Y'all ever heard of that? Y'all heard of the med bed? Have you ever watched Star Trek? Huh? How many have watched Star Trek? Raise your hand. Sci-fi stuff, okay. Well, you know, in Star Trek, somebody, you know, the arm, you got a laceration on the arm or they broke the leg or, you know, got some big problem. You know, they put him in this big bed and they push the button and he goes, and they stay there a few minutes, come out, and and the skin's all healed up and all that. Well, they actually have those in existence. Yeah, it's weird. Nobody knows about it. It's not for the public. Uh, it's under, uh, you know, they've been figuring it out for years and years. So anyway, so anyway, in the middle of all that, I got on this webpage, they're looking at that. I know that sounds weird. Now, now that has to do with the mark because the mark could be uh, the powers that be trying to change your DNA so that you're no, not human 1.0 that God created via Adam and Eve. You're human 2.0 and you're attached to a machine or a demon. Sila. Now, what was I talking about? <laughs> really, what was the question? <laughs> I got off into all that. Oh, Jesus on your side. The word. Oh, I was talking about the younger culture. See. So, uh, how did I get off into that? Oh, oh! I was on the website, and y'all, um, in the website, they're talking about, man, they are talking about, um, uh, there's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as heaven and hell. They're all figments of a person's mind. There's no such thing as faith or fear. Uh, it's an illusion created by the human mind. There is no hell. No, there, there's just a consciousness. And you want to be absorbed into the, Universal consciousness. That's demon spirits talking. That's demon spirits talking. Now they talked about God. They talked about Jesus. I thought, man, this is demonic 155%, right? Yeah. If you don't know the word, you're gonna you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be deceived. You hear me? And if you're a person that lives by feelings, you're going to be deceived. <sighs> I'm trying to make this nice, but put some butter on it. Most Americans live in deception. Because most of what you hear is not true. Now, if that bothers you that I say that, then you probably are one of the persons that don't even realize that the water's about to boil and you're in it. Is that okay? So how do I know that Jesus loves me? Go to the Word. John 17, 23. See, I had to wrestle with that as a new believer. 
You know, your concepts of God have to do with how you're raised in your family. You may have an absent father, a non-present mother. She's there, but she's thinking about other stuff except for you. Ain't thinking about you. Um, or you may be an orphan, or you have abuse in your home. You've got all kinds of problems. Um, and, and so your family life mirrors God to you because the first authority figures in your life when you hear the concept of God, that there's a being called God, and, and, and he's the overarching ruler of all that is and creator and sustainer of all that is, our minds automatically go to our experiences. Well, my mama and my daddy. My mama had me. My daddy helped take care of me. And so you could have had abusive relationships with parents. They could have been mentally, physically, emotionally abusive or absent, yes or no? And uh, that can be a real problem and a challenge when it comes to relating to God. I had really good parents, but my father was a workaholic and I had experiences without going to, don't have the time to go into great detail, um, but I had experiences where my father's work tendencies got in the way of, of relating to me. So when I came to God, I felt like he was aloof, uncaring, distant, Absent, uh, didn't care about me, and and I found a book by uh, uh, by Kenneth Hagen. I think it was written in 1975. It was a hardback called "Growing Up Spiritually," Chapter Five, getting to know the your father. And I I, I was sitting in my little red brand. Uh, the first car I had was coral red, and uh, it brand new. And I was sitting in my car at lunchtime reading that book, and it dawned on me that I I didn't. I had a blockage between me and God because of what my parents were. Not, I have, my mama's watching. I love my mama. I have great mama, great daddy. But see, but see, some of the relational things with my father got in the way. Even though he's a good man, he's in heaven now. I love my dad. I had a great relationship with my dad. He was my superman, my superhero to me in my life. But I had to overcome some mental, emotional things with God. And so how, what did I do? I went to the Word. John 16, 27, Jesus said, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And I came out from the Father. When I looked that up, when it says the Father himself loves you. Well, I see, I, I, my mind said, well, he's loved me because he's got to love everybody because he's God. He's perfect. So he's just doing his, he's just doing his duty, just doing his job. He loves me like that's his job. But then I looked up the word love. It's the word, it's the word that we get our word friendship from. It's the word, Greek word phileo. And it's somebody that is endeared to you because they like the qualities in you. They just like to hang out with you. And when I saw that, the Father himself, in fact, Amplified says, the Father himself tenderly loves you. I wept. I sat in my car and wept. Say, God, you really don't just put up with me. You actually love me. John 17, 23. I and them and you and me, that they may be one in us, that you may know, that they may know that you have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus loves me. God loves me as much as he loves his own son. Say it out loud. God loves me, God loves me. just as much as he loves his own son. 
And I got a lot of other related passages, Psalm, Psalm 103, Psalm 145. And uh, I just meditated, read the word over and over and over. And it finally dawned on me and it finally got into my emotional life that God loved me and accepted me. And I began to have some really good experiences with the Lord. And having said that, you have blasé days. Well, you don't feel like nobody like you. You don't even like you. They ain't looking in the mirror today, right? So get over yourself. (laughs) uh, Next question. What would you tell 30, 21, and 16-year-old you? Say that again. What would you tell 30, 21, and 16-year-old you? Oh, if I'm 16, if I'm 21, and if I'm 30. uh, Number one, don't take yourself so seriously. (laughs) Um, Number two, um, just because you have a plan, it's okay if you, if you defer from that plan because I'm a perfectionistic hound dog. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I gave Susan trouble. We got, I got married when I was 21. Uh, the first thing, everybody okay? We're gonna, everybody, y'all want me to stop? Uh, we're going to go eat. The food's about ready, so I'm just trying to Enjoy the time here. So Susan and I were first married. Uh, uh, I went to work at 7 o'clock. One, uh, I think they're going out to volunteer, y'all. Everybody's okay, right? They got to get stuff done. So um, so I worked at a grocery store because I'd been going to school. We got married. <clears throat> and uh, my house about a mile and a half from where I worked. And um, then I got home and... And, and when I opened the apartment door, Susan had overslept that day. We'd been married about a month. She had overslept that day. I opened the front door. When you open the front door, you see right into the kitchen through the living room. I opened the front door. And, and so when I opened the front door, Susan's in the kitchen. So the front door's here. Susan's in the kitchen. And she does like this where I can see her through the door. Hey, Mitch. And her hair's a mess. And she's got to rush it and tell her, Lord, where's Susan? Don't tell, don't tell her. Oh, you're going to tell her? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. And she's steady washing dishes because we didn't wash them the night before because it got late and she didn't do it. So I'll get it in the morning. But see, the idea was she's trying to please me. In the first few years of our marriage, uh, her job was to please me. Y'all ain't no husband. Wanting your wife to think she's living to please you. If she is, you is dead wrong. I know I'm not using the king's English properly, but I'm doing it for emphasis. You get it? You get it? You're just wrong. And I found out that my, the way I lived, I had to ever, everything's in its place. Every shirt in the closets, in its, every shoe. Everything on the, cake, on the counters, just right. If you live in that way, man, you, you're a stiff person. And other people are having a hard time with you. And it took me some time to get through that. Susan, I had a great awakening with Susan. God bless my wife. You don't need to go hug Susan and say, you're a good woman. It's true. true. She changed my life. Jesus changed my life. Susan changed my life. That's what I say. So that's what I'd say to, to the 21-year-old me. The 30-year-old me, I would say, uh, don't expect all of your plans 
to go exactly the way you've designed them in your mind because they won't. I started a church at age 30. It didn't go anything like I thought, and I literally wanted to kill myself as a result when I was 32. So I had to learn. And then uh, that life has patterns and things happen, and it's usually not going to go idealistically the way you think. Does that make sense? So anyway, that's three things. Yeah, go ahead. Mark 14, 51 through 52 says, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Who's the young man that that verse is referring to? I, don't, I forgot his name. Do you know? I think it's John Mark, the writer of the It gospel. could be. I forgot. I studied that out years ago. But here's the issue. That kind of question, that don't matter. That's not going to keep me. That's not going to help me when I'm struggling. That's just head information. And a lot of people relate to God with head information, not heart content that changes life. Now, I shouldn't say, but uh, all over, <laughs> when I ask questions all over the world, people ask questions of me. They ask outland, now, whoever asked that question, great question, but it helped me talk about something. So I've had people uh, ask, you know, outlandish questions particular points about this, that, or the other, that at the end of the day, it don't matter, right? So, so don't major on the minors. Major on the majors. So anyway, what's next? How do you know when you're on the right path with the Lord? Are there any signs that he gives us that can reassure us that we're going the right way? Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, uh, to which you're called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of God, the Greek word uh, actually means umpire. Let the peace of God call the shots. So, so if, I'm, if I have interior rest, I can believe that I'm generally following the known will of God from me. If you're not following God's purpose and plan, there's an unrest. So let me say, that's on several levels. Generally speaking, you know, Isaiah said, there is no peace, says God, to the wicked. The wicked are like the troubled sea. When I was an unbeliever, before I knew Jesus and I was living in sin, and if you're a believer and you're doing things that you know are wrong, you can never have complete rest. Right? You can't if you're doing wrong because, because you know, there, there's something going on. Your insides are not agreeing with what your outsides are doing. And there's got to be congruity there. So, um, so that's one thing, walking in the general will of God, you know, not violating your conscience, doing what uh, uh, you understand is right from what is wrong. That's one area of the peace of God. But there's another level of the peace of God where, You've got to find what your vocation is and what God's called you to do with your life. And, and here's what I found. God will allow you to do some things just because you're human. He'll let you go some paths of life and get involved in some things just because you need to grow, you need to develop, and life is a learning process. Everybody understand what I'm saying? But then, but, and, and you'll be doing something. Maybe you have a vocation you know, I, um, I was on staff at a church. I started a church. Uh, I, was, uh, I had a traveling ministry for a few years. I was associate pastor of a church. 
uh, had a business while I've traveled, so I know what it is to entrepreneurially start a business, maintain it, hire people, all that. Uh, but uh, during all that whole time before I came here, inside there was not a complete rest. I, I always knew there was something else that I hadn't yet done that I knew intuitively. I can't tell you how I knew. I just knew I had done it yet, and I got to go there somehow, some way. And uh, when I came here, there was a different kind of peace that I'd never known. I was 36. Uh, oh, that dates me, right? I was 36 in 1994, and something settled into me. It's like, there you go, buddy. You got it. I said, yes. So, so that's a different kind of piece, right? So, so you're somewhere in all that. And if you're unsettled, and you can't make the will of God happen for your life. You've got to open your heart to him, worship him, present yourself to him, and then let him open the doors. For me, I pray a lot. I pray in the Spirit a lot. I got baptized with the Holy Spirit September 12, 1976. And I pray in the Spirit, i.e., I pray in other tongues every day, at least an hour. I did this morning for two hours because it builds you up spiritually, so that's why I can talk so much. So anyway, but you're, if you'll do that, you, you'll, just, you'll just come in to what God wants you to do, and then you've got to be willing to do it. Does that help? What's next? Everybody good? Y'all hungry yet? No? Huh? You want Je- she wants Jesus. How many want Jesus? All right. Go ahead. What you got? Corinthians says that women shouldn't talk in church. Wait, I, uh, turn, turn, turn up the volume. Corinthians says that women shouldn't talk in church. I've heard many use that verse. Not me, the person asked the question. I've heard many use that verse in church, and I have other preach that the verse was Paul only speaking to the Corinthians church due to the issues that were going on in that church. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, so uh, when you said that, I'm in India or I'm in Africa, and the women are over here and the men are over here, and husbands and wives are not sitting together uh, because that was their culture. And we don't do that in America. I'm really glad to see some of y'all, hopefully it's your husband or wife you're snuggling up to. Or maybe, you know, maybe it's your fiance. I don't know. I think that's cool. I think families are good to be together. But see, uh, first century culture, uh, women, generally speaking, had no education whatsoever. They stayed home. They cooked, took care of the kids. They sewed. They took care of the domestic things, yada, yada, yada. And, uh, and so they'd be at church. The husband's on the other side of the church. Hey, Alice, what's he talking about? Or, or actually, it's Alice saying that. Hey, hey, Fred, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about so-and-so and so-and-so. And so Paul said, be silent in the church. Tell your women to be, because they're hollering to their husband. What's he talking about? What about this? What about that? What about that? So that's one thing, that's one interpretation of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 when he said, let women keep silence in the churches. So to balance that out, don't forget there was Ananias and Sapphira. They were actually ministering before the Lord. There are several other couples in the New Testament. They, they did it wrong. Maybe that's not a good example. <laughs> uh, Priscilla and Aquila. They were a man and woman of God who were wonderful. Who was the lady that made purple garments? Acts 16. Lydia. Dorcas, there you go. And uh, so women were used just as men were used. And then go to Galatians chapter 3. There's neither junior Greek, bond or free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ. Can God use women? 
A hundred percent yes. In fact, you know what? God uses Susan to talk to me. I mean, sometimes he don't, he don't even talk to me. Just go talk to her, and I just say, what'd he say? And she'll say, I'm joking, but you get what I'm saying. God can use women, and yes, women can be used in the church. My executive pastor is a woman, Mira Short. Some people don't like that, and I don't care if you don't like that. Go to another church. I'm not kidding. I don't know what else to say. And you know what? Some people have. The denomination I was, uh, I was raised in wouldn't let women do jack squat, and you, uh, whatever that means. Figure that out. <laughs> Teach a Sunday school class to women, but they can't do anything else. Well, well, you know, women are just as gifted as men, some more than men. Yes or no? I think, you know, Mira, again, has a wonderful gifting to be an executive pastor and to organize, strategize, and she helps run the ship here for me so I can go pray and seek God and, and study, and, and we can have something, something to share from Jesus, right? So anyway, um, I, think, I think women can be used just as men can. If you disagree with that, well, yeah, just smile and disagree. What you got next? When do you know that God wants you to move somewhere, and when do you know that he wants you to stay? When? Well, now that one's, um, so the question is, if you didn't hear it, um, how do you know if God wants you to move somewhere when he wants you to stay? Um, that has to do with being led by the Holy Spirit. Romans eight fourteen: as many as are led or guided by the Holy Spirit are the sons of God. The Greek word literally lends to saying uh, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or mature sons of God. When, when you grow in God, you, you learn his voice and you can learn what he wants you to do. How many get that? So, um, you know, for me, when God's wanted me to do something, I say, well, Lord, I have this compulsion to do this. Like, like God said to me before I came here, there's an already existing church that doesn't have the pa a pastor, and you're the man. I said, okay, that's, that's good. Great. How do I get there? And I, he didn't give me an answer, so I waited and said, Lord, you open it up, I'll walk through the door. He opened it up, I'll walk right through it, and that's it. We, came, we moved here actually October 20th, 1994, I uh, was voted in as pastor September 25th, 1994, and then I was installed as pastor October 2nd, 1994 here, but I didn't work any of that out myself. The Lord did it. He opened it up. We got phone calls. I responded to the phone calls, uh, made some trips here, preached and taught here, and the Lord worked it out. So you don't have to push what God's involved in. If you're pushing, you need to back up. You could push yourself right out of the will of God. Anyway, I don't know. Somebody needs to tell me when to shut up. Do I need to hush or I need to keep going? Keep going? Okay. Go. How do you recommend reaching out to our direct community outside of the church day to day, such as coworkers and neighbors and new people? Um, go get the book, I know, by Dale Carnegie, copyright 1938, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Because it'll teach you how to communicate and talk to people that you don't know. Most people don't know how to talk to someone else. Oh, that's good. So, so when we go out here in a minute to eat, here's what you do. You're going to feel, well, I don't know anybody. We'll get to know them. How do you do that? Ask them questions. If you want somebody to like you, if all you do is talk about you, they're going to bail. Well, you know, I got something to do. I'm almost late. 
But if you turn it around and talk about them, they will listen to you. Because people love to talk about themselves. That's the whole theory behind Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends. And, if, and I read it about once a year, and it's really good. So don't talk about you. Talk about somebody. Talk about them. Does that make sense? So what was the question again? <laughs> that, how do you... Yeah, win the community. community. So people. if you're winning the community, you know, you're just letting people be comfortable with you being with them. And you do that by just talking and engaging. You know, for instance, I'm out, I love to work in my yard. That's one way I chill out. So I cut my grass. I have a riding lawnmower. And, um, you know, my, I just love my yard. I got real proud about my yard one time and the whole thing died. So I'm not kidding. I'm not joking. It turned brown. No kidding. I'm not kidding. Everybody say, you got the prettiest yard in the community. I said, say it again. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and for one whole month in 2019, the whole thing's brown. I was like, Jesus, tuck my tail between my legs and run. Jesus. And now it's pretty again, so I don't want to say much about it. <laughs> so I just planted 150 uh, vincas in my front yard. So I'm out there, you know, pulling the weeds and looking at them and making sure they're talking to them. Hey, grow, grow. Make some flowers. And my, ki- my people, neighbors go by. And say, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And some people like robots. And so, you know, you can't get in the door. Other people say, well, I'm good, thank you. I say, what's the name of your dog? Well, that dog named Henry. I said, what kind of dog is that? Well, that's a, that's a well, whatever. And uh, well, that's a pretty dog. And then we just get to talking. So, so that's how you develop relationship with your neighbors. And then, you know, you got to earn the permission to talk to people. So, so if you see people a lot, you just earn their permission. And then as you earn their permission, you just, they begin to ask you questions about yourself and you just answer them. And they'll find out that you know the Lord. You're intimately involved with him. He's changed your life. He's forgiven your sin. He set you free. He's helped you in so many ways. He's answered your prayers. He's a wonderful father. Jesus is a wonderful son. And you just get to talking. Does that make sense? Other, other ways is you're in the grocery store and the Lord says, I want you to go pray for so-and-so. Susan was in Lowe's Food hmm, Friday, and uh, a man walked up to her and started talking to her. The first thing I thought, what's a man doing talking to my wife? <laughs> but after she let me know, it's all right, bitch. Uh, he got to talking to her and, 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 and basically ended the conversation and said, well, can I pray for you? And she said, well, sure you can. So he prayed for her. And then she let him know she was a pastor's wife. Well, well, well. So anyway, he told her where he went to church and all that. But that's how you do it, just entering the conversation with people. The Lord, he felt impressed that the Lord wanted him to pray for her, and so he did. And uh, uh, so that's how you do it. And, uh, you know, just let that some people will let you, some people won't let you. Uh, what you don't want to do is, is be overly religious and use King James Version English. Uh, that's why we're having problems in America today. People have been too religious but not spiritual, right? Anyway, that's what you do. And we can do outreaches together. We do that. We do all kind of things together, and we will be doing that in the future. Invite, you, invite the people that you meet to come to church with you, hey? And we'll get them saved. Next question. In regards to tithing, what should a spouse do if the husband or the wife does not want to tithe? This has caused strife in many families. Wow, I don't know. Uh, do what you can. I'd say do what you can. I've had that before. I've had many ladies come and say, my husband won't let me tie. Said, That's all right. Don't worry about it. God's not going to be mad at you. He'll let you in heaven's gate. The pearly gate will open for you. It's okay. God loves you. It's all right. And, and I usually say, you know, just pray and ask the Lord to work it out that he puts it on your husband's heart, even though he may not know the Lord. 
that you can give to your local church, you give to missions or whatever. And, you know, God has a way of working those kinds of things out. But, you know, you just got to be, you know, don't, don't be so specific that you got to dot every I and cross every T when the life situation you're in keeps you from doing what in your heart you want to do. Does that make sense? Because God understands all that. Next question. Why does the word say that there will be a new heaven? I could understand a new earth, but why do we need a new heaven? It's going to be an atmospheric change. And now you go back to my series on the book of Revelation. That's Revelation 21.1. There is going to be an autoclaving of the, of the earth because of the curse that was placed here upon Adam's sin. And that's going to be, uh, the earth is going to be renovated by fire. Uh, the Bible says, and so uh, the topography is going to change. Uh, the uh, oceans are going to evaporate. It says there will be no more sea. And then the heavens, the atmospheric heavens, a lot of uh, thought with Bible scholars about what that is. The demonic forces that the principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in our places, they surround the earth like a dark canopy right now. They're coming down. When Jesus comes back. And so there'll be a new heavens. They won't be there. That's some people's ideology of that. Uh, others think that literally the atmosphere of, of the earth, above the earth. And remember, this is a, out there a little bit, but um, uh, Noah's flood. Uh, you know, it hadn't rained prior to that. And, and there was a cloud canopy. Bible scholars believe that surrounded the earth and made it a hyperbaric chamber. That is the O2, the oxygen saturation was much higher. Now, if you have certain diseases, illnesses, or if you're coming up from deep in the ocean, you'd put you in a hyperbaric chamber, which is uh, oxygen saturated, and it helps heal your body, helps your body acclimate back to the surface if you're in the ocean. Or if you have certain illnesses, they'll put your body in a hyperbaric chamber. Well, the whole earth was that way before Adam's flood. Um, Adam, woo, Noah's flood. I'm okay. Noah's flood, and, uh, and, so, and so when it rained 40 days and 40 nights, that's what Bible scholars believe, that whole cloud canopy dissipated, came down to the earth, created the oceans that we know, and yada, yada, yada. So uh, uh, new heavens and new earth, it could be that cloud canopy's formed back, and the earth becomes a hyperbaric chamber again, and, and uh, it crowds out the, the um, uh, ultraviolet rays of the sun that do damage and do all kinds of stuff, and here we are again. It's the father and his family all over again. Offspring of Adam and Eve, walking with God, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. New heavens, new earth. Isn't that awesome? Uh, y'all, somebody needs to holler at me. What time are we eating? What time? 11.15. So y'all can hear me talk, or you can go chat. What do y'all want to do? Chat. I appreciate the boldness. One more question. Two more questions. Ten, no. Two more. Here we go. Two more and we'll be done. All right. Go for it. We good, Mira? Okay, go ahead. What you got? How do you, how do you encourage a believer that has seen God heal someone else from the same health? I can't hear you. Start over. Turn it up. How do you encourage a believer that has seen God heal someone else from the same health issue they have? However, they haven't received their healing yet. Uh, I have never allowed 
what happened to someone else deter me from what God promised me? Everybody has all kinds of, of um, experiences. I don't let another person's lack of salvation deter me from trusting Jesus for mine. I don't let another person's lack of answered prayer deter me from praying because God wants to answer my prayer. I don't know them. I don't know what the background is. I don't know what is involved in what I see and what they say. I don't know, so I can't judge it. So, so for me, and, and so with, it goes the same with divine healing. God has promised health and healing for the believer. Now, now having said that, I mean, there's, there's God's part and your part as well. If you don't live right, you don't eat right, you don't take care of your body, you don't rest, you eat hamburgers, five hamburgers a day, you're going to have some problems, my friends. Um, you're going to have some plumbing problems and probably have a heart attack. I mean, you know, just get real. So, you know, you got to take care of yourself, listen to the Holy Spirit. You know, I exercise a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm 63, but I exercise a lot, more than probably most people may, because God told me to when I was in my 20s. And when he said do it, he never t- said stop doing it, so I still do. I do long-distance bike rides, and I walk till my feet are like, stop walking. I say, shut up, and we just keep walking. And I exercise with weights and stuff because I want to, because every digit of my body's going to work till I go to be with Jesus. That's what I'm expecting. So, but I'm paying the price to it. And the other thing I do is I meditate in the Word about healing a lot. Now, I could rattle them off, Exodus 15, 26, Exodus 23, 25, Deuteronomy 7, 15, uh, Psalm 103, 1 and 2, Psalm 105, 37, Psalm 107, 20, Proverbs 4, uh, 20 through 22, Isaiah 53, 3, 4, 5, um, uh, uh, Matthew 8, 17, Acts 10, 38, 1 Peter 2, 24, uh, to begin. And I meditate on those verses a lot. Because I keep in my inner consciousness the fact that Jesus took my sicknesses when he took my sins. And so when the enemy attacks my body, and he does, then I say, oh, you're trespassing. Jesus took that for me. Get yourself out of here in Jesus' name. And I know how to trust God for my healing. But not everybody knows how. Most people don't know how. That's the sad facts because they're not taught well. Does that make sense? So I don't judge anybody about that, but I don't judge what God does for me based on what somebody else did or didn't receive. Second question. Last question. There we go. Get this one up. Oh, here we go. Hi. Uh, thank, oh, thanks. thanks, Pastor Mitch. Um, this is perhaps a, a far different question than some of the other ones that we fielded uh, and seeking your more practical advice um, to how we as Christians can stand up to or confront or should we stand up to and confront in what way practically against the propaganda and deception of this day and specifically on the transgender issue that has just been roiled uh, about us today and how can we stand up to address them in love and in faith and according to God's word, but if they're unreceptive to all of that, how can we still uh, stand up to the propaganda and demonic deceptions of this culture? Uh, where's the verse? Let all your things be done with love. So we're not angry, we're not defensive, we're not trying to prove a point. We love people, whether they know God or don't know God. Uh, whether the homosexual, lesbian, transgender, trans, whatever. Um, you just got to love people, yes or no. On the job site, uh, you know, 
uh, according to what the atmosphere is of the office and what the human resources say you got to be and do, you got to toe the line there. Uh, does that mean that I have to go to a, to a rainbow party? Can I get real? Yeah. Uh, does that mean that I have to acknowledge that? No, it doesn't mean that. I have my values. That office environment has decided to have that value. That company's decided to have that value. If I'm working for that company and they've decided to have that value and the, and the leadership of that company says, we're going there, you know, I can say I disagree and, and they're going to say, well, as long as you work for us, you've got to do X, Y, Z. Well, I'll do X, Y, Z as long as it doesn't cause me to violate my conscience. And when somebody causes me to violate my conscience, that's when I part ways with them. And I'll do that kindly. But in the, on the office environment, you've got to think about all of that. Outside of the office environment, you know, you've got Thanksgiving dinner where you've got uh, all kinds of folk there in the family tree. And, and you've got lots of different opinions about everything, lots of different lifestyles. You know, you know, I don't judge people for who they are and what they've done because I've been a rascal. I have been such a rascal in my life. I mean, I've been wrong, dead wrong. And I've been a hypocrite a lot. You know, before I knew Jesus, that was my name, Mitch Hypocrite Horton. Okay, so, you know. I got one song I live by. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Having said that, if somebody's talking about their lover and, and a man's married to a man, a woman's married to a and you got those things to deal with. Or you got a 15-year-old boy who says, well, my name is Susie. And, and, and he's wearing a dress and high heel. Uh, I must might engage him in conversation. How's that working out for you? You know, <laughs> what's it like? You know, what's it like? You know, I don't know. I just talk to them and just see where they're at and what they're thinking, what they're doing, and, and just kind of let the, let the conversation take its course. And then the, and if they ask me, so what do you believe? Well, so, well, I'm glad you asked that question. I've got some reasons for saying what I say, so I'll go into, you know, me. I'm, I mean, I've studied the Bible a lot, but, you know, God is holy and God is love. But God made uh, male and female, Adam and Eve. And, and he ordained marriage. So we can get into some of those conversations. Some people are open. Others are not. Uh, but if God gives me an opportunity, I'll share and uh, have no problem doing that. I do that in our services. If you want to bring your family, bring your friends. They're transsexual, homosexual, lesbian. I, bring them here. Uh, I'm not going to not share what God says about any subject because of who's present. And I'll do it in a way, hopefully, that they understand where God is. Where You know, the thing we're missing in American culture is that God is, he, he revealed himself to the Old Testament folk as one thing. God is holy. And we don't see God as holy today. Love means God accepts everything, and that's not holy. Does that make sense? So it's a big, it's a big concept. It's a big conversation Longer than I got to give it today, but you know you want to, you know you want to, you want to love people where they are, but then ask God to open up their opportunity to share. So if you got somebody that you're going to see on a regular basis, if you hit them with KJV King James Version, every time you see them, they're going to run from you, and they're going to call you names to all their friends. But if you'll just love them, pray for them, you know, and and ask God to open up opportunities, you'll be amazed at what He may do, right? Because, you know, we're losing our nation. And, and the whole reason this is happening, it's a propagandist's tool to, to divide families, to divide our nation. 
and to create an environment where the young can uh, be deceived because there's no family unit that can hold them together. I know a lot of people disagree with what I'm just saying, and you're fine to disagree with that. But we have history on our side when we say what we say. There's never been a culture, but look it out up in here, that has embraced homosexuality, lesbianism, etc., transgenderism, that has survived it. Never. And we will not be the exception. So you just want to think about it. Just want to think. Do, do you love people? Yeah. Do you love a homosexual? I love people, yeah. You love the lesbian? Yeah. Love the transgender? Yeah. yeah. But, but if you love somebody, you got to be real. You got to be honest, right? Now you look like you want to say something and I'm ready to go. What is it? What you got? You want, you want, you got a question? I just said, oh, no, him, back in the back. All right, one more, that's it. All right, this is kind of a two-part question. Oh, boy. Where, how can I get help on how to parent an adult child? And does Victory Church have ways to help our, uh, help to encourage the singles that possibly desire a mate? Hmm. Hmm. Well, we have small groups. Let me answer that one first. So if you desire a mate, don't be coming to church looking for a husband or wife. <laughs> you know, um, Rhema, it used to be, and that's Rhema Bible College. When I went in 1980, it was Rama Bible Training Center, but they called it Rhema Bridal Training Center because people went there and found their spouse. I looked at Susan and said, I'm glad we married because there's a lot of people here. <laughs> I'm glad I got married before I came. That's, no, I'm joking about all that, seriously. But, um, you know, church is a great place to find people. And, uh, you know, if, if you want to find a spouse, uh, uh, clean up, present yourself well, brush your teeth, comb your hair if you got it, or keep it real smooth if you don't have it, uh, put some cologne on, smell good, have fresh breath, and just be a nice person. Be an honest, real. You know, people like real. And if they see you and you ain't real, because you got a lot of false stuff, I can go a lot of ways with that. <laughs> then, then, then you're not going to find a mate. You know, you just got to be. And, and the bottom line is ask God, say, Lord, put me in proximity of where I need to be to find a person that works for me. I don't, I don't think there's any one person that's exactly the only one for you. There could be a number of people that would work, you know, I'm glad God sent me Susan. We've been together this year for 43 years. And it's good, but you see, the Lord did that. So I made myself available as a young man, you know, and, you know, you kind of, all right. And, you know, it either happens or it don't. So uh, it's just got to be God. Don't, Don't be in a big hurry about it, right? I know, but, man, I'm 35 years old. It's okay. It's all right. God will bring the person to you, right? Or maybe you're divorced and you want to be be remarried. God understands that. Uh, What was the first question was, what was the first question? Something about children. How to parent um, parent adult adult children. Well, you know, adult children, they're not children anymore. Unless they have a mental problem. And, you know, we all have to deal with that sometimes. But I don't see, I've got four children. They're adults, but they're not children. You know, they are my confidants and friends now. And if I try to treat them like, well, I'm daddy, you do what I say, they won't even call me, much less text. 
It just don't work. So, you know, but I have a good relationship with my uh, challenger, Sarah. What, what do you think, Sarah? I mean, you know, I don't tell, do I tell you what to do? I don't tell my kids what to do. I don't tell my son, sons-in-laws or, uh, well, mostly sons-in-laws. So I got three sons-in-laws and one daughter-in-law. I, I don't tell them what to do. I don't tell them how to live their life, spend their money, where to live, what to do. You should be over that if you have adult children. If you don't, then you have created your own problems. Now, that's facts. And you've got, a, and, and you've got an insecurity that you're trying to solve via your kids. Yeah. A lot of them, that's a big subject, isn't it? A lot of parents uh, try to live a pseudo life through their children. You know, one thing I, Susan and I are thankful about, our parents never told us how to live, what to do, how to spend their money, where to work, etc. We made our own way. In fact, uh, sometimes they make overtures in hard places in life. I said, don't dangle that carrot. God will make a way. Because I, I can't live on their purse strings. I can't live on their opinions. My mother, uh, because of the person she is, I love you, Mama. She's 88 last Thursday, and she lives with me. Give my mama a hand. Mama, this is for you. She's watching. So, <laughs> you know, um, my mama knows things ahead of time. And it's like, okay, if you around somebody and they know everything about you, it's like, Jesus, help me. I can't get away with anything. So I told my mama years ago, I said, Mama, don't tell me if God speaks to you about me. I don't want to hear it because I got to hear from God, not you. I can't come to you, pastor in the church, saying, Mama, what's God saying? I got to hear it from me. So a lot of parents try to live that way with their kids, and you are messing up so badly. And then you're training your, your grandchildren in a terrible way. So, so you've, got, you've got life entwined and messed up. And God wants it to straighten up.